Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein. And Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of Prop Swap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got another great episode for you. Luke and I will be going over our favorite stake or swap picks. But first, we interview college football writer for Sports Illustrated, Ross Dellinger. Uh, we've been friends with Ross for a couple of years, and he does a fantastic job covering the world of of college sports, specifically college football, which uh, is an ever evolving landscape. and uh, And that's what we get into uh, this week. Uh, Ross was traveling uh, through Mississippi when we talked to him. Uh, he had just covered the Ole Miss Kentucky game, uh, so we apologize in advance uh, for some audio issues. Um, but uh, we hope you enjoy the interview. So let's get into it. All right, we are here with Ross Dellinger, college football writer for Sports Illustrated. Ross, thanks for joining us today on the Prop Swap Podcast. Yeah, no problem at all. Good to be on. Um, so uh, you're, you're currently in, in Mississippi. Uh, you had just covered the Ole Miss-Kentucky game. How, how was that experience yesterday? Oh, it was great. You know, it was great atmosphere. Uh, you know, earlier in the week, Lane Kiffin had kind of – chided the Ole Miss fans about attendance and uh they really they showed up they answered uh they answered the criticism by by packing it in at Vaught Hemingway Stadium despite the 11 a.m kickoff and it was loud and uh, uh the uh the Grove in the Oxford Square was quite quite buzzing so uh and the weather was unbelievable it was like uh 75 80 degrees completely clear and sunny so it was a great uh kind of like early fall crisp day um and an exciting game uh really exciting game almost pulled it out in the end mostly because of its defense so uh the, the rebels are uh remain undefeated first five and oh start since 2014. That's right. Uh, so Ole Miss is one of the few remaining undefeated teams. What, what's what's the feeling there in terms of uh, how, how they like their chances in the in the SEC? Yeah, they're well. I mean, you know, we've seen really over the last two or three weeks that the elite of the SEC, the Alabamas and the Georgias, maybe aren't as elite. I mean, obviously Alabama, you know, had a real struggle at Texas, barely won. Uh, lost their quarterback for a while at Arkansas and Arkansas, you know, scored 23 straight points, which is kind of a rarity against a Nick Saban team. So, uh, and then Georgia, you know, hung on uh, or had a storm back to beat Missouri and then did look great a week before against Kent state. So all of a sudden, like it just, you know, an A&M's falling apart, um, obviously Auburn too. So all of a sudden it just kind of looks like, uh, it's a little more wide open maybe than, than at first thought. And uh, Ole Miss has, you know, a team of transfers. They're, you know, Lane Kiffin, the portal king. He's put together uh, quite a bit of transfers that are pretty solid, and, and they needed them all yesterday against Kentucky. And there's a lot of hope that, um, you know, you pair Lane Kiffin's play calling and offensive skills with a defense that, has proven over the first five weeks to be one of the best in the nation. And there's a lot of hope here that they can make some noise and not just like a 10 and two thing like last year, but, but maybe even better. 
So speaking of, of the SEC, um, there will be a couple new entrants uh, coming up in a couple of years, Texas and, and Oklahoma. Um, that sent shockwaves uh, through through the college football landscape but when, when that was announced. Um, if you could just try, try and walk us through how that happened, how, how two – Two of these mainstays in the in, in the Big Twelve were able to be poached by, by the SEC. Well, I, I think it starts with Texas. Um, I think Texas was probably looking for a promotion of sorts. Uh, I think there was a lot of uh, you know we're in a situation in college sports, um, in college football specifically, where attendance is declining. We you know, I think I've, I've read that this year, actually, it's up from years past. But for the past six to eight to ten years, it has been slowly and steadily declining. You you see teams all over the country that are renovating their stadiums and decreasing the white Texas for other options. I, I think the attendance, I think the interest you know, what wasn't necessarily there. Uh, somebody from Texas made the comment to me before of, you know, we're, we're tired of playing KU and Kansas State and Iowa State, you know, these teams, and we want to play the, the Ole Misses and the LSUs and the Alabamas and the Auburns and all that stuff. And, and you know, that way you get more people to game and there's more games, there's more interest, there's maybe more giving – so you hurt yourself maybe from a competitive standpoint, but, um, you know, you help yourself in revenue. And that's what it's all about these days. So it's all about the money. And it's about the cut in the media rights, obviously, is much bigger in the SEC and would have been much bigger at Texas going to the Big Ten. It would have been much, much bigger at Texas done what a lot of people actually thought they would do and go to the ACC actually was in the mix. So... They were looking to leave, and they just took kind of uh, their sister school in a way, I guess you could say, in Oklahoma, along with it. So it's all about money these days. It's all about getting fans and seats, and I think that was a real crux. I don't know that the SEC you know, was really mining to expand in some way, exploring expansion. I don't think that was happening. I think Texas knocked on the SEC's door, and if they had not opened it, Texas would have gone to the next house. That's interesting. I didn't realize that college football attendance is declining. Do you have any inclination on whether that's the student body or is that more so, you know, alumni and local residents that just aren't going back to the stadiums on Saturday afternoons? Uh, yeah, it's probably some of both. I, I would guess it's more so the non-students. I, I think students probably still, still go to games. Um, you know, we've all been spoiled. Uh, HD TV, plasma TV, the big screens, um, you know, the availability, um, mobile, you know, getting games on mobile and iPad. And it, it's just changed, I think. Uh, and a lot of people don't want to put up with traffic and high prices for concessions and bathroom lines and all that stuff. And they can just sit at home yep, and yep. watch on the big screen. I think that's the root of the issue. 
Um, yeah, that, no, that's, that's interesting because I think that everyone's talked about that in the NFL, but uh, I think that's that's kind of news or, you know, that, that most people don't realize that, that, that those same issues that plague the NFL are, are also plaguing uh, college football. Um, so about a month after it was announced that, that Texas and Oklahoma were joining the SEC, the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 announced this alliance of of the three of the three leagues and and they called it uh, a non-aggression pact that basically was saying that these three conferences were going to join together and and i think trying to shelter themselves from um any further poaching now i think everyone kind of thought it was kind of a joke when it first when it when it was announced uh and then this summer i think it was uh definitively kind of a joke when the big 10 poached uh, the Pac-12's two best schools in, in UCLA and in, in USC. Um, what so what you know? What was the thinking behind that alliance, and and was it was it even really considered to be a serious thing? Well, I, I think the main reason behind the alliance, um, you know, after the announcement of Texas and OU, there's a lot of people freaked out and freaked out that. Uh, the other major conference, the Big Ten, was going to go and poach teams to combat the SEC's move, um, kind of respond to it. And so because of that, George Kalab called for the Pac-12, and, and Jim Phillips of the ACC did, did a pretty smart thing, actually. They convinced Kevin Warren and the Big Ten to make a pact. And... Um, the, the essence of the pact was the 40-some-odd school presidents in those three conferences basically agreeing not to uh, poach one another. Um, and then, you know, 11 months later, lo and behold, but the Big Ten did exactly what was feared despite this alliance. And it's probably why... Most people, especially in the SEC, but people around the country, I think, thought it very odd that the Big Ten would enter such a pact. Um, And, you know, I think everybody, all those people were proven right because they didn't live up to their, quote, gentleman's agreement and uh, installed, you know, arguably the the Pac-12's two biggest, most successful historical brands. And... Uh, the alliance is uh, is no more. Um, so you had kind of mentioned that this is all about about TV money, um, and I think everyone would would kind of uh, agree on that. Um, so, you know, about a month after the USC and UCLA joining the the, the Big Ten, uh, it was announced that uh, the, the new media rights deal for the Big Ten, and it was pretty eye-popping. Uh, the Big Ten announced a deal with CBS, Fox, and NBC across those three networks that will pay out the conference $8 billion over, over seven years, so about, about $1.1 billion um, per year for, for, for that conference, also ending a, a 40-year relationship with, with ESPN. Um, was, was that all... Was that all kind of the, the timing of that? that? Was that on purpose? I mean, did, did the Big Ten need to get USC and UCLA before signing that, that, that TV deal? 
No, I don't think so. I do think that the conversations and potential for USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten started mid, early, mid-spring. Um, obviously, the, the news leaked late June. So it had been happening for two, three, four months. Um, I think I forgot who it was, but it was a Big Ten AD that came out recently publicly and kind of let slip that they knew back in February and March that it was going to be a possibility. Um, so as the Big Ten was negotiating its deal with the primary uh, rights holder, Fox, I, I you know I think there the there was a possibility this was baked into uh, the the negotiations that this could happen, um, and you know um, that's why the Big Ten's deal, which was supposed to be many thought done around like Memorial Day or early June, didn't get done until basically August, I believe. Um, and and that's that's why because of kind of the holdup in them adding. I mean, obviously. You know, I think it's around 1.1 billion a year, 1.2 billion a year that that they'll get in media rights uh, uh, revenue. Uh, you know, that number probably is below a billion without USC and UCLA. So they they certainly got a big boost, but it it wasn't one of those things where it was uh, necessary for them to get those teams uh, to get some some kind of a big deal. I think they were probably going to be pretty close to a billion dollars, but I, you know, I, I, I've seen different type of projections of what USC and UCLA's value is. It's really hard to kind of put a number on that, but I think, you know, anywhere from the combo yearly media rights value of those programs is around probably at least like $300 million, uh, maybe $400 million. I don't know, something like that. So, um, it, it, it definitely helped the deal and probably helped uh, get more bids into the the market, uh, into the negotiations. It probably probably had a few more outlets, uh, media outlets, uh, companies bidding. And so that drives up the price even more. Uh, so it was either way, it was it was good for them getting them. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk of them expanding again and creating a another media package. Uh, they would need another media package to expand again. They, they wouldn't want to dilute their revenue shares. Um, so they would need more money in order to expand. And for everything I've been told, Fox is not giving more money. Uh, so it'd have to be other media companies come in to give them more to expand again, which, you know, it's possible. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's likely in, in the immediate future, but it's possible. So, uh, I mean, let's just talk for a second. I mean, so it was it was kind of reported that uh, that the former Big Ten commissioner J- Jim Delaney um, made this shrewd move uh, back in 2016, only signing uh, a six-year deal, uh, which was kind of uh, criticized for at the time because all these other conferences were were signing these massive long-term deals, like the ACC are, is currently locked up with ESPN through. 2036 um and the thinking was being that uh you know with all the cord cutting that the 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 amounts for these meteorite deals was going to go down uh because less people were going to be subscribing to cable but jim delaney kind of had this uh foresight to say you know what no like 
you know, even with streaming, the, the sport, live sports is going to keep keep going up. Um, so, I mean, is is in retrospect, is, is everyone kind of praising you know Jim Delaney now for for signing only a six year deal that now allows the Big Ten to sign this new eight billion dollar deal? Well, he did he did have some foresight in in that mm, the digital media. Uh, you know, marketplace, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, it's changing really rapidly. Um, it's evolving so quickly, not not by the year, maybe not even by the month. It's 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 evolving uh, basically by quarter. No, and there is there's a lot of cord cutting. Um, and, you know, you wonder if he did, how much he, he gave to the Big Ten kind of on his way out by signing a, a shorter deal. And I think what we're going to see in the future is the shorter deals. Um, it actually surprised me, the SEC's deal, I believe it's 12 years with ESPN. That's long. And this new deal with the Big Ten, um, is you know a deal that's seven i believe it's seven years so you're going to see more of that that's that's what we're going to see more of going forward because things are changing so rapidly you don't want to lock yourself in a too long of a deal like the acc has uh which has 14 more years left on it <laughs> um yeah uh yeah, so, so you mentioned the sec deal right now they're only getting and i say only but they're getting 300 million dollars a year from from espn and I think we all know the SEC doesn't like to be second uh, to anyone, uh, and so three hundred million compared to one point one billion is, is qu- quite a difference. Um, can we expect anything? You know, what, what, are we, we expect even a bigger deal from the SEC when when that deal's up with uh, with ESPN? Well, in you know, I'll say there's some things about that. You know, those figures, like yeah, it's around three hundred million, uh, three hundred fifty million. But that's just for, I believe, that's just for the premier game package uh, on a weekly basis. It's for like the top game. So I, I believe, and in, in, you know, I'm not an expert on some of these numbers, but uh, there, that num that overall number is more than that. Um, you know, it's they're they're closer to the Big Ten than that. I, I don't know how close uh, but I, I do think they're you know when you combine uh all of their media rights and such they're more probably in the 600 700 million uh mark um maybe more and that is going to increase even before the deal is up because the sec in all likelihood will move to a nine game spe- schedule conference schedule especially with the college football expansion coming and they'll they'll go to nine games and they'll probably because of that get more revenue certainly are trying to negotiate more revenue from espn and i think they'll probably get it so i don't know that they'll get up to 1 billion 1.2 billion but i think they'll get close enough where the the difference is a little is mostly negligible so the the other major kind of development in college football is this new 12-team playoff. Uh, and I know you, you've done some great reporting uh, on this. And, and if anyone listening, I, I highly suggest going to check out uh, Ross's articles on 
on uh, where we stand with this. So uh, right now, as it stands, college football, college football will be moving to a 12-team playoff in 2026. Uh, but uh, if there's a vote, we could get it uh, up to 2024. Um, what, what's the what's the holdup with with getting the the 12 team sooner rather than later? Yeah, yeah. The latest will be 26, and the earliest 24. Maybe the most likely 25. Um, although I still think there's a pretty decent chance they do it in 24. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hurdles um, to getting. You know, adding eight games, uh, right? You'd be adding eight games. You'd be changing a lot of dates and the schedule and the whole format and TV window, new TV window. So there's just a lot of logistics to this. Uh, and, you know, commissioners of the alliance who voted against this same 12-team model back in February, you know, voted for it uh, a few weeks ago. And so there, there is like eight months there, seven, eight months, where officials could have been exploring a way to do this in 24. Um, instead, you know, they they didn't do anything. And um, because of that, they're behind. So if you want anybody to blame why a playoff isn't doesn't happen in 24 as early as it could, it is because of those three conferences voting against it um, and wasting seven, eight months of time. But having said that, there's still there's still a chance. the the big The big issue is the schedule and the calendar of of games uh, and fitting the games into a pretty tight window. From the conference championship games, that's the opening of the window to uh, mid. January. Um, so there's about a month or so stretch there where they have to fit in eight additional games. And so that's kind of the problem. And you're competing with, you know, as far as TV, you're competing with the NFL. Uh, you're competing with the NFL playoffs. And you're competing with, um, with you know, the academic calendar as well is an issue. You have graduation and the commencement ceremonies and exams. So there's just a lot going on, but I think that there, that there is enough movement movement and there's enough collaboration and congeniality back in the commissioner room to make it happen and to do it. Um, you know, we'll see. They meet again, October 20th is when they meet again in Dallas. Uh, that's a very big meeting. will tell us a lot from there. Um, and so who, who stands to gain from, from, from all of this? Like who's, who's, who's got the most to win from, from the, the 12 team playoff and, and, and the realignment? Well, uh, access wise, you have to look at the group of five. Um, you know, they will, uh, the six highest ranked conference champions get a automatic bid into the playoffs. So uh, they're five power five teams. So you, 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 you know, the group of five, the best group of five champion basically will get in the playoff. So I think that access for them is huge access for the teams and the power conferences that finish runner up or even third place or even fourth place um, have a shot now to maybe get in uh 
So just overall access. And then, you know, I think it's great for fans because of access, but also because of the first-round games. First round, uh, the four first-round games are at home. They're going to be on campuses in home stadiums, which is really cool um, and really cool for fans. And then, of course, there's the money. Uh, this thing will make about 450 additional 450 million additional dollars combined for the last two years if they if they expand early in 24 25 so each year will add about 250 230 million dollars to the pot um that will be distributed so uh, in a way uh everybody kind of wins except the very very top top elite of college football teams who have been dominating the playoff in the championship. So if you're Alabama, um, if you're Clemson, if you are Ohio State, you probably don't like this. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have to now win at least an additional game, if not a couple additional games to win the championship. Yeah. I know we got to wrap up here. Who's who's carrying these games? Has that been discussed yet? Like who carries all these yeah, game. yeah. Well, well. Uh, you know, they're still under the current contract with ESPN. It runs through the 20, uh, 2025 playoff. So starting in 2026, we don't really know. Uh, it'll be all, probably all, it'll be out to bid. Uh, and likely mm-hmm. there will be multiple media partners. Uh, but in 2024, end in, in 2025, if they do expand early before the contract, Either of those years, it belongs, the, all the rights belong to ESPN. And they can choose to take all 11 games, or they could choose to let a competitor have a portion of the games, which would make no sense at all. So you can expect ESPN, slash ABC to have those games. Yep. Now, these will be extremely watched college football games. I. My biggest concern about college football is just some of these, you know, the Illinois-Wisconsin game yesterday. Unless you went to Illinois or Wisconsin, neither of those two teams are getting into the playoff this year. So who's watching that football game besides <laughs> the Badger, besides an Illini? Like, I just, I don't understand. Yeah. No, no it's uh, it's a good point. Uh, I think they're good and bad to the expansion's impact on the regular season. Uh, I think the fact that they put in um, automatic or put in first round buys, which can only go to the top four, you know, conference champions gives an incentive late in the season to win your conference. Uh, You know, you want the buy and then those teams kind of on the periphery, on the bubble, so to speak. You know, right now we head into the last, say, two weeks of the regular season with an idea that we have like, you know, eight, six to eight teams able to make the playoff. And now that number will probably be 18 to 20 teams. Uh, So I think that's good. But, you know, there are going to be a lot of games um, that people don't care about uh, late in the year. And there are going to be a lot of bowls. Right. That's probably the biggest thing. The bad, the worst impact on this is the bowl games. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be um, it's going to be bad for the bowl games. Yeah. Um, we know you got to run. Uh, Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, go check him out. Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks Ross. Ross. And we are back. 
thank you again to Ross for uh, for giving us some of his valuable time. Um, I mean, Luke, the the college landscape is just is just crazy. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on the on the twelve team playoff? I mean, I, obviously, I think it's good from a gambling perspective, uh, keeps more teams in it. But um, from a just a college football fan perspective, what what are your thoughts on just the the conference realignment and the and the twelve team playoff and, and all the changes going on? Great from from sports betting. I'll just I'll just start with that. Like you know, when the Warriors were so dominant in the NBA, it was bad for futures betting and obviously prop swap if. The Warriors are minus 150 to start the season to win the NBA Finals at maximum three to one. Like, it just doesn't add a ton of incentive to make bets on other teams. It's just like, why am I going to bet on anyone else besides the Warriors? I know that it's going to be them versus some, you know, X team to win the championship. And it just, it's not fun to bet futures when that's the case. And college football has kind of been the same situation for the last five years where outside of Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, there's really no fun or payoff on the betting these other teams. Cause you know, maybe with a prop swap angle, you get a Cincinnati at 80 to one, but even last year in this, when it came down to the CFP, like they were still like 15 to one to win the championship when they were literally in the semifinals. So um, it's great. Uh, can't wait. It's, it's fantastic for sports betting. And then from a fan, like, yeah, like I gave Ross the, the analogy, like I live in Chicago, you couldn't pay me $500 to sit down and watch an Illinois Wisconsin game for three hours because Illinois Wisconsin is so obviously not getting into the CFP. And if they get a, have a chance, maybe I will watch that game. So nothing but positive. I think it's, it's great for the sport and uh, most importantly, good for sports betting. Um, yeah. And uh, I think having playoff games at college campuses will be super exciting. Um, you know, that that's going to be a, a great, a great atmosphere at, at some at some of these schools. Uh, I do think there will be some very lopsided matchups uh, in those uh, first round games. Um, but yeah, I agree that it's it's yeah. nothing but good for from a sports betting perspective. Um, but you know, I was I was thinking it's just funny. Like every March during March Madness, I feel like people kind of start to think like college basketball and college football are somewhat on equal ground in terms of importance and you, you know revenue. And then as late summer starts to roll around uh, and all these stories start coming out with these, you know, $8 billion media rights deals. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like everything revolves around college football. Like college basketball is actually like not even really that close in, from college football in terms of revenue. And this the whole USC, UCLA thing going to the Big Ten is so ridiculous. But um, it's it's college football is just a just such a massive revenue generator compared to everything else. And everything just revolves or, you know, college football is the sun of the, of the, of the college, of the college athletics, uh, you know, solar system. Um, so, uh, you know, although these changes are crazy, something tells me everyone will adapt and, uh, and they'll be just fine with it and we'll, uh, we'll move on. Um, so, uh, now, uh, that brings us to our weekly segment, steak or swap. First up, we'll be talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right now, they are 60-1 to to win the Super Bowl. Luke, are you staking or swapping the Jags? I am staking the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Uh, I've talked about this on the pod earlier this season, but if you look at the divisional odds for each NFL division, like it's crazy what a story that that can tell you. Um, and I, uh, kudos to, to FanDuel always posting this. Like FanDuel had these up Sunday. At, I probably checked like an hour after the Sunday night game was over, you know, the Bucks chiefs game, uh, they had divisional odds up. So kudos to FanDuel for paying attention to it and posting it. Um, and my, my logic for the Jacksonville Jaguars is they're the favorite to win the AFC South. And I think that gets you into the playoffs. And, you know, if you watch that game on Sunday, the Philadelphia Jacksonville game, like Jacksonville's up 14. Oh, and you know, listen to Trevor Lawrence in the post game, Trevor Lawrence lost four fumbles in a really, really rainy day in Philadelphia. Clearly Penn state's weather, that uh that Penn State Northwestern game the weather just went east um and then you know the the Giants game was pretty wet over at MetLife so you know my point is that's not always going to be the weather and if you know maybe they get a a home game because they win their division Jacksonville um so uh I like them I think they're they easily can win that division you got the Titans at plus 190 uh Jacks are plus 170 Colts are plus 190 I don't know what the heck to do with the Indianapolis Colts I really don't. Um, I want to fade them. I, I think it's maybe they're just in over their head. Matt Ryan hasn't looked super sharp. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is is not playing well. Like their offensive line should be good, and they just can't get the run game going as much as we kind of thought. Jonathan Taylor is obviously the number one fancy consensus pick. So my point is, can't really trust the Colts. Titans, I, I, I've given out the Titans before, so it's going to be a two-pony race, in my opinion, between Jacksonville and Tennessee, but um, for all those reasons, and again, this is the purpose of the segment is not necessarily saying Jacksonville is going to win the Super Bowl, but if you get them at sixty to one, they have a good run. Odds get down to fifteen to one, you're making four or five times your money. Yeah. Um, if you listen to this podcast two weeks ago, I gave out Jacksonville at three to one to win the AFC South. Um, as you mentioned, they're now the favorite at, at plus one sixty five. So that's a that's a double up right there uh, on, on your money if, if you made that bet. Um, you know, you, you hit on a, a lot of the same points uh, I, I was going to touch on. Uh, the Jags are sixth in points right now. Their defense is fourth in points allowed. They are a solid team. I don't think anyone has, that's watched any Jags games has says, you know, they're, they're lucky or, or they're, you know, they're, they're below average. They are a solid team. Um, as you mentioned, they got out to a 14-0 lead against the Eagles, and um, they pretty much lost that game because Trevor Lawrence fumble, lost four fumbles, which is... Uh, extremely rare. That might even be, be, a, be a record. Um, and, you know, they were the worst team in the league last year. So that means that they have a, a schedule that reflects, that reflects that. So their upcoming games are home versus Houston, at Indy, home versus the Giants. They play the Broncos in, in London and home, and home versus the Raiders. Those are five very winnable games. Uh, and so if yeah. you think that they're, they're a solid team, um, and I, I, I think everyone would, would probably say that they might be the best team in, in that division. So, uh, I, I would stake the, the Jags, uh, as well. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I was on them two weeks ago and I'm, I'm still on them today. And I almost wish that I made a, even a more bold proclamation two weeks ago, instead of winning the division, they were like 150 to one to win the Super Bowl uh, two, two weeks ago. So, um, I'm, I'm still in on the Jags. Uh, uh, and so thank you for coming, coming over to my side, uh, two weeks, two weeks later. Um, the next pro, uh, prop we're going to talk about, 
Uh, we're going to focus on the MVP race. Right now, Jalen Hurts is 5-1 to one to win the NFL MVP. I'll go first. I am going to swap Jalen Hurts at 5-1. to one. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have a terrible rest of the season. I'm not saying he's going to tank. But when you look at these MVP races throughout the last, you know, historically, a lot of guys have great first halves and they peak and then and they just cannot sustain the momentum. I mean, I'll point to Russell Wilson a couple weeks ago or sorry, a couple years ago. Uh, he had some great game on Sunday Night Football and Chris Collinsworth is talking about he's never even received one MVP vote and his, his stock shot up after that one primetime game and then he just wasn't able to, to sustain it. And so Hertz, he's five to one right now. He was 50 to one. Uh, during the spring, and then his odds dropped to 25 to 1 after the, the draft when they acquired A.J. Brown. Uh, and so if you've got one of those tickets, 25 to 1, 50 to 1, and you can make 10x on your money right now, I say cash out while you can now because the margin from him to go to 5 to 1 to, to you know, what, 2 to 1 or 3 to 1 and, 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 and take over the, the current favorite, Josh Allen, I mean, he would, he's going to have to sustain this level play. And I just don't exactly have the faith in him that he can sustain this type of, of, of uh, dominant play right now. And if, and if you're the Eagles, you got to start to, you know, rely more on the run game, Miles Sanders. Um, I just don't think if they're smart, they're going to just keep saying, you know, Jalen Hurts, like, go win us these football games, right? Um, and so, again, I'm not saying he's going to have a bad rest of the season, but I think he could start to plateau and, and, and not sustain this performance. Um, I also look at, at narratives, right? Like these voting awards that the press votes on, it all comes down to narratives. And so right now he's really competing against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And when I look at those other two guys, I think that the narrative is strongly in favor of Josh Allen because he's been in the conversation for a couple of years now and hasn't won it. And so if all things are equal between Allen and Hertz, I could see the media being like, Josh Allen deserves it. He's been here before. Let's give it to him. You know, Hertz, okay, you know, do this again next year and, and, you know, and, and you'll get it right. I just think they're going to give it to the guy who's been more consistent over the past couple of years and hasn't won it. And then also Mahomes, who obviously has won it before. I think there's a strong narrative behind him to say, he lost Tyree Kill, one of the most electrifying wide receivers in the league, and he still put up crazy numbers. I mean, that game last night yeah. uh, you know, against the the Bucks, he had that crazy play, and that that play is going you know where he twirls and and flips it uh, for a touchdown. That play got you know viewed millions of times, and uh, I just again, if all things are equal between Allen, Hurts, and Mahomes, I just. I have a hard time believing that Hertz is going to get it over those other two guys. Uh, and then of course, and that again, that's if, if he sustains this, this level of performance. So um, I'm going to swap Jalen Hurts at five to one to win the MVP right now. Yeah. Um, I will, I will stake Jalen Hurts to win MVP at five to one. Uh, I hear you. Those are all super fair points. I guess my pushback to Josh Allen would be, you know, when they, after he beat the Rams, everyone was like crowning the bills as they're going to win the Super Bowl. And then ever since then, his stock has trended down a little bit, in my opinion, his Sunday stats against the Ravens who have a good defense. It's not, um, it's not ranked number one in the league, 19 of 36, 213 yards with a pick one passing touchdown. They have 70 yards rushing and that shouldn't be 
disregarded. Um, and then, you know, of course, they lost to the Dolphins last week. So um, almost should have lost to the Ravens. <laughs> Harbaugh's decision to not kick the field goal at the end of the game and go for it was kind of a head scratcher. Um, so I just feel like Josh Allen's stock is trending down. I don't understand why he's still three to one. That number seems off with this performance yesterday and then the loss the week before. I think he should be around the same as Jalen Hurts. Um, and I guess my last point would be if we're just talking about the debate between Josh Allen and Jalen is like the Eagles look to be far and away the best team in the NFC. Josh Allen is going to have a gauntlet of trying to prove that they're the best team in the AFC. And the Eagles record is really um, easy this year. They have like, I want to say they're 25th in, um, in strength of schedule. So the 25th, uh, you know, inverse would be the seventh easiest schedule. Um, so for those reasons, I'm going to stake Jalen Hurts at plus 550 um, because I think the Eagles will easily be the best team in the NFC. The Packers, the Packers almost lost. So is his name Bailey mm-hmm. Zappi, the Western Kentucky quarterback? They, they should have lost that game. So, um, yeah, I just Jalen's been the most consistent. He's going to get the rushing touchdowns. And in fairness, Josh Allen gets rushing touchdowns as well. Um, but I will, uh, I will stake Jalen Hurts to win his first MVP. One, one point that I, that I forgot to mention, um, again, I, I, with these MVP things, it's all comes down to these primetime games when everyone's watching. And so I may be one week early on this, right? Because they play the Cardinals this Sunday and the Cardinals do not have a good defense, but the following week they play the Cowboys on Sunday night football and the Cowboys have a very good defense. They are top five in points allowed yards per play and touchdowns per game. And so, um, you know, while the, the, he may light up the Cardinals this week, but I would strongly suggest selling any Jalen Hurts he have uh, before next week's game against a great Cowboys defense on prime time. Because if he lays an egg, those odds are going are to plummet. Uh, I, I can't stress enough how important these prime time games are. But if he has a great game, then I'll, I'll be proven wrong. Um, so that, that was just another point. Always look out for the, the prime time games uh, when, when doing uh, MVP picks. Um, so that will do it for for this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in make sure to subscribe uh, leave a rating and we will talk to you next week